men to do the will of God. He had his Bible open and was studying it and was reading a portion of Scripture. There was another man that came to him and asked him, Do you understand what it is that you're reading? And the man replied, How can I unless someone guides me? And beginning with this Scripture, the other man told him about the good news of God's suffering servant. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. God's servant, the servant of God, he will succeed. He will, he will prevail. He will endure. He will win. And His glory, it will surpass all others. But it didn't begin that way. Just as many were, just as many were appalled at you. My people. So His appearance was marred beyond that of a man and his form beyond the sons of mankind. His own people looked at this servant and they were appalled. They were horrified. They were shocked. They were amazed. They were astonished. Why? Why, were they, why did they have this reaction toward God's servant? It was because of his suffering. Many people have gone to war and have come back changed. Many people have gone to the battlefield, to the front lines, and have experienced atrocities and suffering and come back to their families and their normal way of life. And sometimes they're hardly recognizable because of the suffering that they have endured. The intensity of the servant's suffering, it was so great that it rendered him unrecognizable. He is the suffering servant. But yet, even though the servant suffers, he will succeed. He will prevail. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what they had not been told, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. The servant, the suffering servant, he carries this priestly kind of role, this priestly function. Under the old covenant in the priesthood, the high priest once a year on the day of atonement would go behind the curtain and sprinkle the blood of the sacrificed animal on the mercy seat, thus making atonement for God's people, forgiving them of sin, making atonement for the people. But the servant, he will serve this similar role 
He will sprinkle his own blood upon many peoples and many people groups. The most powerful and influential people on this planet, kings, those who have the power to do whatever it is that they desire to do, will eventually look at him, this servant, and be speechless. Not be able to say anything in his sight because of his glory and his grandeur and his awesomeness. Their horror will turn into amazement. They will see and they will understand how glorious this servant really is. Who would believe this? Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This seems crazy. Who would believe what we just heard? In chapter 52, verse 13 through 15. Who in the world would believe what this servant would accomplish? Who would have thought that God's power, God's saving power, would be revealed in that kind of manner? In every other sphere of human reality, greatness is not achieved by descending into it. Greatness is not achieved by humiliation. Power is not displayed by weakness. But with the servant, it was. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we would look at him nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. The servant doesn't have an appearance that would make him stand out as unique. He was like anybody else. If you see this, if you saw this servant, you wouldn't automatically assume, wow, he's going to do something great. He's going to do something grand in his life. He had no stately form or majesty that we would look at him or desire him. And that lack of desirability, it eventually led to hatred. He was despised and abandoned by men. A man of great pain and familiar with sickness and like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we had no regard for him. The servant, he was treated like one with a horribly contagious disease. He was ostracized, looked at upon with contempt. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And great pain. He was repulsive to look at by many, many people. Their reaction to him when looking upon him was, Get him out of my sight. He is despicable, disgusting. And we, 
We. We regarded him as completely insignificant, wretched, pitiable, a miserable lowlife who deserved every bit of his suffering. However, it was our sickness that he himself bore and our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated. When we looked at him, we saw all of his troubles and all the pains that he carried and all the grief that he bore. We saw all of that as nothing but a punishment from God for his own sins. That's what we thought about him. That's what it looked like. But what we didn't realize, we, what we didn't realize at the time was that we were the ones who were sick. We were the ones with great pain, not him. We were the men and women filled with sorrows and woes. We were the ones with a horribly horrible, contagious disease, a terminal illness, wretched, miserable, pitiable, not knowing that we ourselves were the ones that were lost and dying. And all those pains, that sickness and griefs, that he carried, that we saw him and despised him for, they were ours, not his own. But he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him by his wounds. We are healed. The servant, he knew that we were sick because of our wrongdoings and that we couldn't be healed by our own initiative and by our own efforts and by our own good works. So the servant, he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Our wrongdoings pierced and crushed him so that we could experience wholeness and completeness and fullness in the mighty presence of God. All of us, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall on Him. The longer we gaze at the servant and we see Him and everything that He has done for humanity, the more that we come to realize we're sheep. We're like, we're like wandering Sheep, sheep who have wandered carelessly away from the shepherd, 
looking for something else. Looking for something else that would bring more fulfillment and contentment and satisfaction in our life. But instead of God punishing us for our arrogance and our disobedience, which would have been just, He punished the servant. And the servant wasn't forced. He wasn't forced to do this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't even open his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to slaughter. And like a sheep that's silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. He wasn't dragged away, kicking and screaming against his will. He could have called 10,000 angels to come destroy the world and set him free. But he didn't. He remained silent. He took on all our pains and our wrongdoings, not forcibly, but willingly. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the wrongdoing of my people to whom the blow was due. He was led away after a phony, unjust trial. No one even cared. No one even batted an eye that injustice was occurring. If it was any other person, if it was a normal person, They'd be crying out, injustice, injustice. This isn't fair. What's happening to me is not just. It's not fair. But he didn't say that. He was cut off. Cut off from the land of the living, implying that his death was not only a violent, premature physical death at the hands of mankind, but also the just judgment of God, the holy wrath of God was unleashed upon the servant. And he didn't cry out injustice or this isn't fair. That was what we deserved. In his grave, it was assigned with wicked men. Yet, he was with a rich man in his death because he'd done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. They intended to bury the servant with criminals because of the crimes that they accused him of. But ironically, he ended up in a rich man's tomb because he didn't do anything wrong. There was no deceit in his mouth. He was perfect. He was sinless. No kind of wrongdoing was found in him. They had to make things up to accuse him of. 
so that they could kill him. But even though he was sinless and perfect, it was God's will to do this to the servant. And not only was it his will, it brought God pleasure. But the Lord desired to crush him, causing him grief. If he renders himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The Lord desired, desired to crush the servant. In other translations, it says the Lord was pleased to crush his servant, causing him grief. It brought God pleasure to crush the servant. How odd. How odd. It brought God pleasure to crush an innocent person and allow him to carry the sins of sinful men and women upon his shoulders. How odd. And that's because the full weight and measure of God's wonder, of His glory, of His beauty, and His love is revealed when He crushes His servant. God is on display for all the world to see through the crushing of His servant. You can know God and you can see God through the servant. Through the servant being crushed by the weight of God's wrath. You can see that God doesn't desire you harm. Sometimes we ask, is, is God even for me? I mean, does God... It, just, it feels like... God doesn't want me to succeed. It feels like he's in, my, in a corner just staring down at me with, with, with wide eyes and just waiting for me for, to mess up. It's not the picture of him that we see through the servant. He doesn't desire you harm. We can see that God wants the best for you in your life. He wants your well-being. He wants you to succeed by His standard and by His definition. And you can see that God has sacrificed more than you can fathom to make you whole, to make you complete. You can see the heart of God through the servant. As a result of the anguish of His soul, He will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, for he will bear their wrongdoings. As was said earlier, he will succeed. Not by earthly standards, not by any 
uh, way that man could create or devise or make up. But he will succeed. And he will prevail through his suffering. And will bear the sin and guilt of so many. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the plunder with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was counted with the wrongdoers. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the wrongdoers. After their discussion, the man looked up, at the, the second man looked up at the first man and said, this is the good news of God's servant, Jesus. Jesus. And if you submit to Him, if you see Him as your Lord, if you believe in Him, if you have a changed, transformed vision of Him upon seeing what He has done for the world, if you repent of your wrongdoings, recognize that you are a wrongdoer, a sinner. Repent of your sins. If you acknowledge Him as the Lord of your life, and if you're immersed into Him, then He will become your servant. And by His blood, sprinkle all of your sins away. And you will be cleansed. And the man stopped him immediately and said, There's water right here. What hinders me from being baptized? And immediately, both of the men, man number one and man number two, stepped down. And the first man was baptized. And he went on his way rejoicing. This morning, how will you respond to the servant, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ? A response is demanded. He has served you, and He continues to do so every day if you are in Him. Will you serve Him? Come forward this morning if you need anything from the church as we stand and as we sing.